Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, and thanks, Ryan. It's good to be with you this morning. I hope you're enjoying the donuts, and if I'm talking too fast this morning, I'm sure it's not the donuts nor the rock star I had this morning. Uh, By the way, I am seriously depressed today over last night's Dodger loss, so I hope I can get through this message. And it seemed to encapsulate the year 2020 in a single play. Uh, I'd show it to you so that you could amen that statement, but I may have defeated my entire purpose this morning to encourage you in the faith. So uh, I'm glad I could talk to you like that, my friends. <laughs> and I know that it's trivial for some, but in all our disappointments, uh, we get to connect with each other once again. More to come on that, but first, I have a question for you. How do you hang on to your faith in difficult times? How do you know if you're growing in your faith? Do those two questions have the same answer? I mean, is it something that just happens or do you have to pursue it or how does it work exactly? Think on that for a bit while we uh, talk about the book of Second Peter. Um, the Apostle Peter wrote this book and some scholars believe that someone wrote under Peter's name. Maybe that's what happened, but it was not a common practice in the early church to do that. More likely Uh, Peter had a scribe like Silvanus or Jude, the Lord's half-brother, who both traveled with Peter and they hung out together. Uh, One of those may have penned the letter, but there's enough internal evidence to suggest that Peter is the author indeed. You know, I'm talking about in in chapter 1, right this second, in 16 through 19, where Peter writes, "Uh, We were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes, Uh, when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves, Peter's writing, heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message of the prophets at the time that they were preaching it. But you must pay close attention to what they wrote because their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. It's kind of a reference to Psalm 119, verse 105 there. Until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star shines in your heart. So Peter was actually there and he heard the voice from heaven. And then he says, We have a more sure, secure word than that which is spoken of from heaven. We have the scriptures. What we learned last week from Ryan in 1 Peter, um, he encouraged us uh, Christians facing opposition in the world and how to own that ourselves and suffer with one another. But in this book, in 2 Peter, it warns Christians against false teachers in their own fellowship who would lead them into apostasy or abandoning their faith. Um, What he's really after, what Peter's really after in explaining this to us today is uh, cultivating Christian maturity is really the theme of the book. And Peter's teaching us that by growing ourselves, we won't be as easily influenced by false teaching. 
And if you read that Bible uh, or listened to the Bible project where they talked a little bit about the book, the overview of the book, what they said is Peter has hope for the whole world and challenges us to examine our everyday lives. And boy, does it ever. Um, I remember when I first started reading this book, I was like, oh, man, I'm so convicting. It's just so ripping at my soul when just reading through these passages. And this is the last letter of Peter. And in it, he speaks of his impending death. Um, church tradition has it that Peter was crucified under Nero's reign, and Nero died around 68 AD. So it was probably between 64 and 68 AD. It's fascinating to me that the last time I taught, I spoke about Paul's last letter, knowing that he was about to die. Now this letter, written by Peter, is his last letter, knowing that he's about to die. Whew. Again, it makes us think about what's the most important thing to us and what's important to the Apostle Peter. So let me show you last time. It's feels, it might be feeling uh, self-aggrandizing as I go over my message from last time, as I quote myself. But the, uh, just by way of reminder, this is what Paul taught us. Remember where you've come from. Don't poo-poo the good things you were taught value the scriptures. They teach us about its author. We cannot do life alone. We need one another. So Peter lays out his second letter to us like this. Here's what Jesus has given you. And then I'm going to read to you kind of pieces of what you already read in the scripture reading for today. But he talks about his great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable us to share his divine nature, right? And escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. What it means is he's actually given us a promise. Not, It's not like a, um, you know, one of those tit for tat ideas. You do this, I'll do that. You do this, I'll do that. It's a promise saying, this is what I will do. And we receive that precious promise and enables us to share in his divine nature. In view of this, it says in uh, verse five of chapter one, Make every effort to respond to God's promises. So there's a response that takes place that enables us to receive all that God has promised us. And then it tells us to build on each section of that, right? So you have a promise given to you and we hold on to that promise. And then we add to that. We add something to that. And we're not adding to God's promise. We're adding to our effort in pursuing God's promise for us. So he tells us to uh, supplement it right, with a generous portion of moral excellence. And when I hear that word um, in, in the King James, it talks about virtue. And it's the same word that Jesus used to describe it when the woman who had the issue of blood reached out and touched his garment. And he said, virtue has gone out of me. Moral goodness. I can feel it escaping me like not in a not in a way that he didn't have it and it yet got away but it just he could feel that power going and i think um it's easy to make light of the fact that there is there is power that comes through doing good and being good right it's all it's it's inherent within our being when it's inherent within our being it flows out of us more naturally, obviously. And then it tells us to add to that knowledge. So we know that 
um, we know that love builds up and knowledge puffs up, right? But in the context of this, it says to us that we need to add to our goodness some knowledge because uh, goodness alone may make us feel like, okay, I've got it down. But knowledge helps us to be clear. What is it that Jesus is saying? What is it that the scripture has taught us? Those are important things. And the knowledge helps us with self-control and we add on to that self-control. So it's not only knowing to do good, it's actually doing good and then holding ourselves responsible, right? That self-control and self-control and self-control has um, patience and patient endurance and patient endurance adds godliness and godliness adds brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness, love for others. So I think it's a building block, one thing upon another that he's trying to teach us there. And then he says, the more that you grow like this, the more productive and useful you are in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That, I think that's an interesting concept, right? The more productive and useful you, everybody wants to be productive and useful for God's work, right? And then he says, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. And we'll talk about that a little later when we talk about what false teachers are like. So then he tells us to prove that you're personally, you're really among those that God has called by doing those things. You won't fall away. And then God will give you a grand entrance into his eternal kingdom. He talks, that's chapter one in a nutshell, right? He tells us this is what you have available to you. The second part, he says, this is what you need to stay away from. He says, these are the, this, what ways are false teachers influencing us? And in what way are we false teachers ourselves to others? Now, I don't mean us on the teaching team. At least I hope not. I just mean that there are ways we can contribute to others walking in faith or steering them away from faith. They they can either, they can, and this is something that Mary covered in her uh, message a little while ago. They teach us things that are not consistent with the writings of other scriptures. Peter talks about that because there were folks twisting the words of Paul. There's, they don't warn us about things to come. There's a lack of genuine concern for the eternal destiny of others or for ourselves. And third, they don't practice these things themselves. And I think this has influenced us in the church more than any false doctrine ever has, or probably ever will, right? Sexual immorality, greed, gossip, slander, infighting. Folks don't want any part of that. And that leads them to walk away, turn away from God and from the faith. He talks about the impact of those two things, especially uh, sexual immorality and greed, which brought the wrath of God on Sodom and Gomorrah, the fallen angels, and the other story that he told in that passage where he's, you know, bringing that down, the, you know, the story of Noah and the, the earth, uh, you know, the, the sins of the people on the earth in general. Um, and then he tells us, here's what we should enter into. In Second uh, Peter chapter 3, he talks, he starts talking about all of the things you can uh, that are coming upon us, right? A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and, thousand, and the thousand years is like a day. 
and that the Lord isn't really slow concerning his promises. Um, as some people think he might be, uh, he's patient for your sake. Because think about if Jesus came back um, two days before you came to know him, it would be a different story. Or if Jesus comes back several years after your passing, he doesn't want anybody to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief. And the heavens are going to pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves are going to disappear in fire. And the earth and everything found in it to deserve judgment. And since everything, this is the key here. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. And on that day, He'll set the heavens on fire. The elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he's promised us, a world filled with God's righteousness. So, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort, every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. My, um, even as I'm speaking to you right now, my mom is dying. Um, she continues to hang on because she's very determined and she loves life. She wants the best for her kids and her grandkids. And uh, she believes rightly that we all want and need her. But her body's given out. And we had a pastor sent by hospice care to talk about mom's imminent passing. And she asked, what is one lesson your mom taught you? And without hesitation, I said, she taught us to care about people. And because she did, she did do that. And I, I've spoken a lot about my dad in recent messages, but not as much about my mom. And that's for, unfortunate for all of you because my mom was very much the conscience of our family. And she's a very thankful woman. Um, some of you know my mom. Uh, she's fun-loving, funny, gregarious, and loves Jesus. She constantly challenged us to do what's right, even if felt if it felt easier to do wrong, uh, which is, it is often, by the way, right? Easier to do wrong. Um, she didn't hold her tongue when people she loved were doing something wrong. She'd tell them why, because she actually cared. She gave a rip about their lives, even if she didn't know them. She would say things. That would help them to recognize what they're doing. Mom would invite people over for Thanksgiving dinner that had no place to go, even if she barely knew them, uh, because she didn't want people to be alone on a holiday. She was the life of the party. To be sure, she wanted others to have as good a time as she was having. And mom's far from perfect, but let me tell you, she's real. And people understood that about mom. I remember a time when I stole a handball from a store when I was a kid. And when we got home, mom noticed the ball and that I had not had it before and asked me where I got it. And, of course, I hemmed and hawed and, uh, around it and didn't take her long to figure it out. So back we went to the store to bring me to the store manager to confess my crime and give it back. Um, I'm sure it wasn't convenient for her to bring me all the way back to the store. 
uh, but she owned her responsibility of me and made me do the right thing. Made me. Sounds funny to say in this day and age, isn't it? Yeah. So, dear friends, um, let's show show the next slide there, Matt. It has the scripture in Second Peter three. You already know these things, dear friends. So be on your guard, and then you won't be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. And it really takes discipline to live in that way. A friend of mine who was at odds with another person who had treated him unjustly when he had you know, attempted to help. He would, when he was in the presence of his offender, someone asked, who knew what he had experienced, asked him, how will you be with this person? And he said, I'll be gracious. Man, that's the stuff. We're called to behave in that way. In the midst of conflicts, ac- accusations, challenges, being done wrong or doing wrong ourselves. Whether my mom passes today or next week or next month or next year, whether we ever get back to normal in this world, whether or not our political choice gets elected or not, whether the Dodgers win or lose, or even in circumstances that you fear may never change and you have to live through the difficulty. I'm not saying that it's easy. But we're in this for the long game rather than just for 2020. So back to our question that we had in the beginning. How do we hang on to our faith in the difficult times? I think Peter tells us this, these three things. First, be on your guard. Be aware of what's happening, happening, especially inside you. Two, don't lose your own secure footing. Trust Jesus like you originally did. And three, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Keep adding to your faith. Self-control, grace for yourself, grace for others. And a question you can always ask is, are others experiencing me as self-controlled, gracious, caring, kind, and loving, even in the midst of whatever difficulty I might be experiencing? That's a question we can ask those that are around us, because I think they always get the brunt of whatever um, whatever we happen to be experiencing, right? Uh, the, old, uh, the old song that says, you always hurt the one you love, the one you shouldn't hurt at all. It's so true. Those are the ones. And I I just pray that today we would have the wherewithal to stand firm, even in the midst of our difficulties that we experience, and that we trust that no matter what, we can lean into what we've always known about the one who has given us those precious promises. Let's pray. 
Jesus, there is just so much in this book uh, that helps us to really reorient our lives to um, to hearing from you, to responding to you, and uh, to being self-controlled and owning our responsibility in life, all of these things. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use us to bring life to those around us, life to our family members, life to our uh, to our friends, life to those that we see and can wave to and see on the street as we're walking or or being in the store and and knowing that we all have all these pressures in our lives. I pray that we would be outside of ourselves more often. And thank you for this word from Peter. This word from your scripture that gives us life and hope. In the name of Jesus. Amen.